broadcasting from the Stolen Droids Hangout and discussing everything that has been taking place in the geek world over the past 168 hours. Well, give or take. It's the Stolen Droids Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode number 151. I'm Schmitty. And I'm Zook. We're Zonerless this week. And he left us. <laughs> he did, he did. Things are cray-cray here with just the two of us. I did just use that in conversation. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, great. <laughs> Zoner has decided to abandon us. Uh, he somehow got roped into having to go on a tropical cruise with his lovely wife. Uh, he's really suffering through it, I hear, especially since they got to leave the kids at home. That slacker. I know. I feel for him. I have been told, however, that he's planning on bringing back every, uh, a souvenir for every one of our listeners. <laughs> you hear that, Zoner? I've just obligated you. Hey, special thanks go out to our friends over at TrekRadio.net, CryptonRadio.com, OpenBookAudio.com, and Stitcher.com. We have more friends. I should actually start saying all of them. We want to also thank our friends over at 4814.com. They give us all of our awesome hosting. Um, if you want a WordPress site set up and have it be rock solid, go to 4814. That's 48-14. It's better than 24-7. It's 4814.com. And our friends over at Eagle Moss Limited, we're actually entering into an agreement with them. They're the ones that do all the official uh, models for all the different starships. These are really awesome figurines. Yes, I know, figurines. They don't seem like much, but these are the ones that go on limited edition runs. If you don't buy it when they come out, and if you're not a member when they come out, your only option is to go into eBay, where they suddenly triple in price mysteriously. So... We're going to have a link up on our site for that if you want to get in on a special offer, and we'll be getting that very shortly, so keep an eye out for it. Uh, also, special thanks to all of the, everyone who joined us in the pre-show. We are recording this on Saturday night instead of Thursday like we normally do. Uh, it really threw a wrench in everything, having uh, you know Valentine's Day right over the time when we normally record. Go fig, we wanted to spend it with our loved ones instead of recording the show. And we kind of forgot to announce that. Yeah, so sorry about that. We did throw off a couple people, and uh, hopefully we'll be back to normal next week. So Definitely. But thanks to everyone who came into the uh, the show, uh, the pre-show, got to see that with us, see our wives suddenly make a cameo appearance, and uh, show us some pretty good uh, links that we may have missed through the week. Again, if you want to join us for the pre-show, we record it every week before we start recording. Uh, you can keep an eye out on our Facebook page, Twitter page, and Google Plus profile. We put out the link, and you can join in. Give us ideas. Give us feedback. Yell at us. Win stuff. It works. We're and still figuring fun. it out, too. <laughs> All right. Well, into our headlines this week, and the first one is kind of funny. We know that T-Mobile and AT&T don't like each other. Okay, we have the CEO of T-Mobile crashing an AT&T event at CES. We have AT&T doing what they can to try and really go after T-Mobile where it hurts and failing for the most part. But we've never actually seen one copy the other one's logo. Well, T-Mobile says that's exactly what AT&T has done in a prepaid carrier that's owned by AT&T called IO. How do you pronounce this? IO. Yeah, your guess is as good as mine. AIO. Yeah, and so they're they're. I wouldn't say it's necessarily the the logo is is a ripoff, but they're using the same color. Well, not even the same color. I guess if you get into the technicalities of it, it's like a few shades off. Yeah, if this was the hex value <laughs> of the color, it's like two values off. But it's enough to make T-Mobile jump and say, hey, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, according to AT&T, the color they are using is called plum, while T-Mobile is obviously magenta. <laughs> and when you look at them on top of each other, yeah, you can tell there's a slight difference, but next to each other, it's really hard to tell. Well, technically, AT&T is using Pantone 676C, and uh, T-Mobile is using Pantone Process Magenta. Yeah, so one is straight <laughs> magenta, and one is literally two shades removed from magenta. Uh, it's, it's deliberate. Yeah. I, and really, I think uh, the way T-Mobile and T-Mobile was able to win this in a Texas court, saying no, 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 this is way too close to our color. It's really confusing. Some brand confusion. And I think the way they were able to win this is: look, you take a look at the big four carriers, okay? That's Sprint, Verizon, AT and T, and T-Mobile. Put their logos up on a on a sign, on a page. Then you take this AO logo, 
and you say, which company do you think this is owned by? And most people, I mean, I would have done this a week ago because I'd never heard of this company, would have put it into the T-Mobile camp because it looks that that much like it. No, no. It's owned by their arch nemesis, AT&T. Yeah, I, I see your point. And, and, and it would make sense if they had made it blue, like the AT&T logo. It would have made it easier, easierly, <laughs> more easier um, associated with AT&T. Uh, but lawsuits over colors, that just seems ridiculous to me. Well, yeah, ridiculous, but when you consider that it's a brand, I mean, if they had left it blue but done a blue check mark, who else would have been going after them? You got me on that one. Yeah, that'd be Verizon. Oh, okay. Verizon has the red check mark. If they had left it blue but done a swoosh symbol, it's Sprint. You know, it's one thing to say, look, a lot of things are very similar. You can't go after them. I mean, we've seen some pretty ridiculous lawsuits. Uh, what was the one that sued a phone carrier because the phone name was too similar to their food product name? And they were yeah. worried that people were going to confuse the two. Sorry. No one's going to confuse a Popsicle for a type of cell phone. But <laughs> one phone carrier with a certain-looking logo and another phone carrier with a similar-looking logo, that I could see some... <laughs> I, I could see that kind of ruffling some fe- feathers. Yeah, a little bit. But the font isn't even the same. Eh, whatever. But the, the courts will do what the courts will do. So, so typography nerds will know they're not the same. <laughs> No, I oh okay. Call me a typographer nerd then, but they don't. I look, do. <laughs> they don't look the same to me. So, but uh, I, I will agree. I mean, if I had to just do a quick glance over and say, oh, this is a prepaid uh, cell, if this is a prepaid cellular company that's owned by a larger one, I would have immediately thrown it into T-Mobile and just kept going. I wouldn't have stopped to think about it. Yeah, I certainly wouldn't have guessed AT and T. Yeah, because it's not their font either. See, I can play the typography nerd card. <laughs> I can play that card. I can go there. Incorrect kerning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if you want to hear typography nerds, I don't know if you can find them anymore. But when Microsoft launched Bing, B-I-N-G, their version of Google, their search engine, the typography world went insane with rage with how much they hated Bing. They hated the name, they hated the logo, and they really hated the kerning. Yeah, it was. Oh, I had I had the opportunity to hear a few people at work talking about it, and uh, I, and I thought I was weird. <laughs> <laughs> that is the best way to put it with typography people, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, dude, it's a letter. Move on. Yeah, and I, I guess I guess the biggest thing was uh, uh, with with the kerning, um, the kerning between each each letter need needs to be i guess uh constant between between the entire uh logo or whatever but uh according to the typeface nerds uh it varies like by 150%. Well, in so. Gmail, Gmail was originally really bad that way too. It changed fonts in the logo. Like the G was different than the M and the AIL were a completely different font than the previous two. That's right. Yeah, I forgot about that. Before they finally went and changed it. And when they changed it, everyone else is breathing a huge sigh of relief, except for, you know, ninety percent of the population who didn't notice a change. <laughs> Unless it's comic sans, no one cares. Let's make everything comic sans, it'll make the world a better place. No. And send your hate mail to Schmitty at... <laughs> if you want a pretty font, if you want a font that should be in every logo, Trajan. Trajan I've used that is a once, beautiful actually. font. <laughs> yep. I've used yeah. it in logos as well. Um, hey, moving into comp- something completely different. Last week we talked about malware at the Olympics. This week we're talking about other malware that has came to light this week uh, after it's been spying on us for seven years. This new malware, well, I shouldn't say new, this newly discovered malware has been spreading now for seven years now. That's crazy. Yeah, Yeah, at least seven years. Kaspersky Kaspersky finally rooted it out and found it, and they don't know where it came from. Yeah, they they know it must be from a Spanish-speaking country because the name of it is a Spanish word that means ugly face. (laughs) Um, So Carito, the name of the malware... um, it appears to be professionally written too, uh, so they they think it may be um, something that a 
government of a country made or something. Yeah, and they said that's even worse is it's extremely sophisticated malware, a root kit, a boot kit for 32 and 64-bit Windows versions, Mac OS X and Linux, and possibly even versions of Android and iOS. <laughs> that's um, that's impressive. It's pretty sophisticated. Uh, most most malware written today targets one of those. <laughs> Very rarely do they target more than one, and uh, it's to target all of them. That's some pretty uh, pretty highbrow stuff. Um, it says that uh, Coreto can access network traffic. They can log keystrokes, record Skype conversations, um, and they say they're specifically uh, looking also for PGP keys, which is scary. That's those are the keys that you use to encrypt uh, emails and files before sending them to other to clients or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's it's real specialty is looking for the encryption keys, like Schmitty said, VPN configurations, SSH keys, which are the keys that you use to remote into the machine or into other machines, and RDP files, which are re- remote desktop sessions. So if you've used your phone to remote desktop into something else, you know, like I do every day, it's capturing all that information. That's crazy stuff and they're saying that it looks like this is state run this is a state sponsored rootkit yeah kind of makes you wonder i mean it it's been around for seven years and in the in what has happened in the past seven years we've had um the smartphone the smartphone uh, blow up of technology and uh basically everyone within the past seven years has gotten either a new smartphone or a new computer or both and uh, if you're affected by this, you probably have been <laughs> for the past. Well, five and that's a good years. question. Seven years ago, who had a smartphone? How could it be built for Android when Android came out three, four years ago? Well, that that just means that they've been on the ball, updating like crazy, and we still have Kaspersky and and Norton and and McAfee have not been able to track them and. The, one of the big downfalls of malwares is the update process. Uh, most most malware and viruses get detected on an update push. And so how they're able to get these updates out under everyone's noses is a mystery. It's kind of scary. It's very scary. Now, they say that it does have Spanish language in its code, uh, like Schmitty said, ugly face or the mask. However, they're not. that doesn't say it's necessarily a smoking gun towards a Spanish-speaking nation state behind it, because it is just slang. Yeah, or, or it could be a red herring as well. But it is exceedingly rare for Spanish language to be in computer code like this. I think the only thing rarer than a Spanish coder is a French coder. <laughs> Again, hate mail can be sent to feedback at StolenDroids.com. Jeremy Clarkson uh, would totally agree with me, though. I think they call them coders. Yes. <laughs> the coder monkey. <laughs> Better than being made by minkies, right? No, no, they're about the same. <laughs> you know, I've been watching Top Gear with Jeremy Clarkson for years, and I still don't know what a minky is. He refers to them every once in a while. I know what gypsies are. I know about the Midlands. I have no idea what he's saying half the time, though. <laughs> no, it's it's entertaining, though. It does make you wonder, though, how... I mean, because people have talked about PRISM, and the NSA and MI6 has been doing this as well about how they've been getting into every computer system on Earth, how they have encryption that can break all this. And it makes you wonder if one day we're going to come across a computer virus that's been running around amok since 2003, and it's going to finally be traced back to the NSA. And Schmidty's either muted or we have a horrible lag. Sorry, I was muted. Yeah, I get the, I get the uh, idea that that's, that's going to happen. I mean... I'm going to go out on a limb and say that half the malware that we encounter we'll find out was written by the NSA or contracted by the NSA to have written. So The NSA just really wanted to target its credit card system. <laughs> what other way are we going to get all these credit cards? How look, else do we get our funding? <laughs> look, we either raise the taxes on you guys to fund the NSA or we steal it from Target. It's your call, really. <laughs> these World of Warcraft accounts we're playing won't pay for themselves. Nope. Um, speaking of uh, hacking news, 
this is kind of crazy. Kickstarter was hacked. This is news that just came out today, in fact. So it's kind of good that we're recording on Saturday. Uh, and uh, user data was stolen. However, the CEO is saying that it was not credit card information. Yeah, so you're probably safe if you're uh, if you have your personal information on Kickstarter. But um, they do advise you that you probably want to change your passwords um, just in case. So, and this just happened today, I think. <laughs> so. Well, and what's even crazier is I'm adding another headline in here that I forgot about uh, until just now. But another site was hacked that we have talked about before, the Silk Road. That's right, uh, Silk Road 2. That was raised, it, it, was, it was, they built Silk Road 2 because the original Silk Road was hacked uh, and infiltrated by um, FBI and DEA and CIA. Uh, well, the Silk Road 2 now has been hacked, and I, I believe... When I when I saw the uh, headline, there was also a lot of Bitcoinage that was also confiscated in this hacking. Is that that's correct? Uh, confiscated um, is a good way of saying just stolen. Uh, now <laughs> we should back up here. What is the Silk Road? The Silk Road is a callback to the original Silk Road, which was a trade path between China and Europe or the Middle East. Back back way way in the day, silk only came from China. If you wanted silk, you had to get it from China and ship it along the Silk Path back to Europe. A lot of shipping routes opened up this way. A lot of uh, oh geez, caravans and whatnot opened up. But it was also the route that smugglers used to smuggle things from China, including silkworms. They stole silk from China using the same trade path. They smuggled the actual silkworms so Europe and the Middle East could have their own silk path, uh, silk trade. Well, let's fast forward a couple thousand years, and we have the Silk Road. The Silk Road was an online kind of Craigslist of the underworld. I know a lot of people think Craigslist is the underworld as it is, but it ain't got nothing on the Silk Road. You could buy people. You could buy drugs. You could buy weapons. It was the black market of the Internet. Like and planes it dealt... and helicopters. And... <laughs> yeah, I mean, bad, bad stuff. Probably some good stuff, too. You can imagine. There's like a, a drug cartel out there. Look. We got all these lateral files that we had at our old office. We don't need them anymore. <laughs> Willing to trade. Anyone have an Xbox One? We could trade for it. An Apache. You know. We have a bake sale coming up. <laughs> uh, nice I'd like cookies. To, I'd like to see the uh, the personal section on the Silk Road. No, I wouldn't. It's probably actually selling humans. Uh, Get really was, personal. <laughs> it was raided by the feds. It was shut down. It got hacked and raided by the feds, and everyone had to scatter. Well, that's why they made Silk Road 2. It was on the Tor network, it, and even on the Tor network, it was still hard to find. I mean, you hear about sci-fi shows and whatnot referring to a darknet. Usually they, do, they say it without knowing what it means, but Silk Road 2 was a darknet. It was a darknet site. Well, lo and behold, not even a year later... It's been compromised. And not just compromised, but they're saying all money has been stolen out of it. $2.7 million. That's, That's pretty bad. There is like a, almost 4,500 Bitcoin stolen. Its current value comes to $2.7 million. They're not really sure how it happened, but a lot of people are actually bringing up that it might be a scam by the Silk Road staff themselves. Mm -hmm. That's bad news. Well, I, I'm more likely to believe that it that it's it's either a scam or or a ruse to uh, to try to, um, you know, to try to drum out some of the the FBI or DEA that that may be trying to get in, um, because the whole idea of the Silk Road too was it was supposed to be impenetrable. Now, we as as techies know that nothing is impenetrable. Um, if there's a way in people will get in it's just a matter of time and money um but it's it's more believable that it that it was made up than it actually happened so that's i'll go with that <laughs> now um really um kind of scary here if you read down into the actual uh, notice that the admin of silk road gave out he's actually listing the three users they believe exploited this vulnerability the most and are placing bounties on their head <laughs> that's kind of a scary thought. That's crazy. Yeah, I'm seeing that now. That's uh Okay, so maybe less of a ruse, more of a hey, this seems like it's an internal job. 
Let's go after these people. Yeah. Either way. Um, it's kind of interesting, but I, it won't really touch the rest of us. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Change no your one... passwords if you're on Silk Road 2. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe uninstall that toolbar you just installed on your browser. Don't ship things across state lines, especially not humans. Do dead de- dead drops. That's the best way to, to get your I, weapons. I, I sound like I'm really <laughs> making light of that, but human trafficking is a really crappy thing to be doing. Um, we're not making light of that. Don't send feedback. And and don't do human tra- trafficking. Um, you know who probably does do human trafficking? Comcast and Time Warner. Yes, I went there. <laughs> Now, why do you say that? <laughs> I don't know. Just because they're evil incarnate, and now they're together. In case you missed the news this week, Time Warner Cable and Comcast just merged. Well, this is better than collusion, right? <laughs> uh, what, and that is more out in the open? Yeah, this is like public collusion. <laughs> this is sanctioned collusion, is what this is. Okay, so if you have ever wondered why you can't get another carrier for your cable or your TV in your area, a lot of the time it's because of what they call an oligopoly. That is many, many different cable companies working together to make sure that they don't crowd in on each other. And even if they are in the same area, they all have the same price. It's a back way, it's a shady way of circumventing monopoly rules. It's that illegal. Is, <laughs> yeah, it is slightly illegal. But you can't prove it. It's really hard to prove. Monopolies, of course, is where one company buys up all the stake in an area, and so there is no need for collusion because it's all one company. Uh, Everyone thinks that Microsoft does this a lot. Uh, Google does do this a lot. Apple would do this a lot, except they're not so large as to be considered a monopoly. That's not a bash on Apple. It's just fact. They're not large enough to be considered a monopolistic entity. Now, here's how this got through, even though it sounds like it should be a monopoly. Even though Comcast is the largest cable subscriber in the U.S. and Time Warner is the second largest, they actually have very, very little overlap. So even though the two companies are now one company, people in the Comcast area aren't suddenly getting screwed out of an option by having Time Warner. And people in Time Warner areas aren't getting screwed out of having another option in Comcast because they, they weren't options in that area anyway. However, it does mean they have one less competition. And it's a big one less. Yeah, and for uh, for net neutrality also, it, it may be a possible loss as well as, as there is now one less company um, to do dealings with when it comes to trying to... Um, monitor your bandwidth (laughs) so um on the plus side those of us who have cut the cables um this doesn't really affect us yet well yet (laughs) right it will because let's not forget these cable companies don't just support what's on your tv they also handle a good chunk of the internet yeah and so uh, until until they start crowding in on a lot of the other isps region uh, we we're safe for now uh, but it it looks like that's the direction they're heading. So, well, and okay, let's look at this from all angles as well. About oh, what was it a year ago when NBC and Time Warner didn't come to an agreement for renewing subscription, and there was the rebroadcast dispute and how much money Time Warner owed NBC, and so NBC decided not to renew with Time Warner. We we reported on this about a year ago. And that's usually when you see the whole, you know, don't want to see this channel go away, contact your cable company today. Well, no one did. So many people had cut the cable that NBC wasn't in really any hurry to rejoin Time Warner, and Time Warner didn't really have any leverage to pull on NBC to force them back into the fold. It was so bad that the only reason that the the shutout happened. And when I say shutout, it meant that Time Warner subscribers didn't have NBC for over a month. That's a long time. And they didn't have any of the NBC channels. The only reason NBC came back is because the NHL finals were coming up. (laughs) And the playoffs were coming up and neither could afford not having that crowd watching their shows. There were so many other avenues with cutting the cable with, uh, with different outlets online, that it was just a mess, and they had they were forced back into negotiations. 
Uh, if they hadn't, we probably might still not see NBC on Time Warner to this day. Well, that's not a position either of them had been in before, and Time Warner didn't really like that. So now by joining up with Comcast, they're strengthening their ability uh, and making themselves large enough that now channels and other cable providers are forced to deal with them much more aggressively. And that's a good thing for them. It's not really a great thing for us. No. Like Schmidt said, I don't think we're going to see a huge issue from it right now. Because, again, there's not any overlap. But I don't think we're going to see good things from this down the line. Yeah, they're just getting the ball rolling now. <laughs> so, What's really funny is shortly after the merger, this great tweet uh, came out from uh, Joe Flint. Um, he was quoting Comcast Executive Vice President David Cohen. David Cohen was asked to speak about the merger. <laughs> And he said this, and either he misspoke or he's an idiot. Quote, we're certainly not promising that customer bills will go down or increase less rapidly. End quote. <laughs> uh, if you missed that, he's basically saying, don't worry about the merger. Don't worry. Don't worry. It's not going to make your bill any less. And we promise that it's not a promise that we won't raise the rates as fast as possible. I'm not misreading that. That is... Quote, we're certainly not promising that customer bills will go down or increase less rapidly. End quote. Uh, Oops. <laughs> we can't promise we're not going to screw you over. <laughs> I know. Don't ask us to promise that. That's not in our nature. You Don't. won't get any kind of uh, affirmation here. This is only going to hurt a little bit, I promise. <laughs> Well, it's going to hurt as much as we want it to hurt. <laughs> we promise it's not going to hurt a little bit. <laughs> uh, maybe he's just not very well spoken. Maybe English isn't his first language. <laughs> I think money is his first language. I speak in dead presidents. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to put us on another NSA watch list. <laughs> it wasn't even me this time. You started it. I might as well continue it. <laughs> I, know, I, I know exactly what you're referring to as well. Dear Secret Service, we were talking about money. Which doesn't help because the Secret Service is also in charge of money. No, the Illuminati is. Come on. Oh, sorry. You're right. You're right. Little known fact, the Secret Service was originally not inducted to protect the president. It was originally to enforce the value of the dollar and to break down counterfeiters. They were only uh, charged with protection of the president after Lincoln. Poor Lincoln. Anyways, moving on. <laughs> See what happens when Zoner isn't here? We just become these fonts of information. Gotta fill time, gotta fill time. What does Wikipedia have for me today? Oh, and we, we just brought up a whole bunch of uh, conspiracy theory fodder for him, too. I wonder what he would have said about all that. <laughs> Something witty, I'm sure. <laughs> Okay, um, let's talk Olympics. Olympics have been going for a week now in Sochi, Russia. Did you get to watch the been... opening ceremonies? I didn't, but uh, I, I've been watching a lot of the uh, snowboarding and speed skating. And... I, I watched the opening ceremonies. I did not know that Russia invented the TV. Or the light bulb. Or the airplane. I thought that was really interesting when they were covering their history <laughs> and their contributions to the world, how they boldly faced, boldly said that they invented the TV, light bulb, and airplane. I thought that was really kind of cool. Um, they didn't, but... They've got really cool MiGs. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess. Yeah. Um, what's really funny is the fact that during the opening ceremonies, the uh, they had these stars come out on this huge... Um, gantry system and the stars expanded out to become the Olympic rings right you've probably seen it by now that the fifth ring did not open I'm not going to rag on them for that I feel bad that it didn't open it looked really really cool but my poor wife had to talk me down as I was in a rage about those rings see we hosted the Olympics 12 years ago in 2002 here in Utah and if you are either too young to remember or simply it wasn't that big a deal so you don't remember, we had something called the Hoberman Arch. Mm -hmm. At the award ceremonies, um, our main stage had it. It was this really cool 
um, constricting iris design that was developed at the University of Utah. In fact, they still have the Hoberman Arch up there at the U of U. And it was one of a kind. It was the only kind like it in the world, and it was developed just for this. Those rings used the Hoberman Arch collapsing design, and I was really, really upset that they stole that. So my wife had to talk me down, only to then see that they also stole the TV, another Utah invention, <laughs> and then the airplane and the light bulb, which were, of course, American inventions. But eh, what do you say to the host city? Anyway, that was a complete divergent topic. What I'm really bugged about is the coverage, and we seem to go over this every two years with every new Olympics, but this year seems especially bad. Have you noticed that NBC seems to really be screwing up coverage of the Olympics? Well, messing it up how? I mean, as far as the time delay goes, that's I mean that's one thing, but... Uh... Time delay is one thing, and unfortunately it can't be helped. They're 12 hours away. Right. You know, and that's time zone, not, not distance. They're, they're 12 hours away. It's tomorrow there. And some events are happening in the morning. Some events are happening at night. Some events are happening in both times. You can't really help it. So I understand that there is some tricky editing going on there. However, when they haven't yet shown an event and still are talking about it back at the news desk, you know, there's one of them saying, okay, so so-and-so just won gold in this event. And they haven't even shown that event yet. They're kind of screwing it up themselves. I was watching a uh, a women's snowboarding event. I want to say it was the halfpipe qualifying run. And they showed an American girl who was uh, prized to win. She was the favorite. And they showed her first run. And then they showed her second run. Yeah, and she's in first that. place. And that's awesome. And then they showed everyone else's first run only. And are going into, well, okay, currently this girl's in first. Yeah, except she's not because we just saw the person who ended up in first through the qualifiers. Yeah. Yeah, I did notice that. Um, and I I think a lot of it's got to be a part of confusion on uh, on uh, the NBC's reporters' part because they're here in America reporting it. Um, I'm willing to bet the feed that they're getting isn't all in order. And, and I don't know whose fault that is, but... Um, it it kind of seems like some of the time uh they they are acting a little bit confused and uh now that now that you're mentioning it i'm remembering a lot of a lot of things i've heard them say that just didn't mesh with what they were showing and uh so yeah a lot of a lot of technological fails i guess yeah. are going on uh even worse is the fact that if you want to see the events as they're happening in real time you can log on to nbc.com this is not an endorsement and log in to watch events as they're happening or watch replays immediately after them happening. Except you can't because to watch more than a half hour's worth, you need to sign in to NBC using your cable subscriber's login. Why? Well, this is because they don't want to show it to people who haven't paid for NBC. Here's the problem. Everyone's paid for NBC. NBC is a broadcast station. <laughs> I'm a taxpayer, dang it. <laughs> yeah, well... Well, it's not a it's not a state run station. It's not like the BBC or anything. But uh, you want to know who paid for my subscription? It's all your sponsors you're running ads for. I have a local regional cable carrier here, so I tried to log in and watch stuff on my tablet. I wanted to see the skeleton event because I really like skeleton, and I couldn't because they didn't list my carrier. And even when I went to other, it said, "Sorry, you can't use this service." So even though I have it on my TV, even though I pay for it, I can't see it. Why? No one can give me a great reason. <laughs> it's not like they're not showing ads on it. It's better than last time. Last time uh, NBC was on a time delay, um, I can't remember for what city, but uh, you couldn't even see them live at all. And so they are improving a little bit. Um, last time was Vancouver, Vancouver I remember. Right, yeah. It was four years ago, it was Vancouver. It was only an hour off from where we are here. We're in mountain time, and it was in Pacific time. And yeah, we still couldn't watch it live. A six-hour time delay, and and yeah, there was no way to log on to their website and see it. You could log on to their website and and read the uh, headlines and see the results immediately afterwards, but you couldn't see the event. Yeah, kind of a... it was it was absolutely ridiculous. I think probably the worst thing, the biggest spit in our face about the whole online experience is even if you do log in and it says you have a half hour free, you log in and that half hour includes the ads. 
includes the loading time, and even includes, sorry, that replay isn't available yet. Here, wait while we give you hold music. <laughs> I had six minutes of free time available, and five and a half minutes of that were taken up by hold music. That's great. And I couldn't, like, pause it and get back to it. It was a live stream. They were live streaming hold music. <laughs> oh, boy. I, God, NBC. It's 2014. Surely they can get better than this. Hopefully next time. <laughs> well, you know, next time, you know where the um, Winter Olympics are next time? Tokyo. No. They're in South Korea. Oh. Well, uh, Tokyo's probably the next one after that. <laughs> explain to me how that's going to work. Yeah, they're even more tropical than Sochi is. Well, I guess they've got mountains. They're going to have to be pretty freaking high mountains. <laughs> I'm excited for the next uh, Summer Olympics. They're going to be in Rio. Yeah. So. Yeah, and Rio de Janeiro actually has an Olympic logo that doesn't suck. Yeah, it looks pretty cool. I'm kind of surprised. Uh, hey, speaking of South Korea, our next headline actually comes from them. Now, South Korea makes a lot of electronics for us. They're also a real big backer in terms of data and telecom, and they're our biggest ally in Southeast Asia, in the mainland anyway. Well, some news has come out that currently they are snubbing Huawei. Huawei says it's the U.S. forcing Korea to do this. The U.S. is saying it's Korea doing it on their own for us. But whatever the case being, South Korea has said that they're going to agree to route sensitive U.S. and South Korean communications away from networks that are made by Huawei. Hmm. <laughs> so it's going to take know. an extra 50 seconds to get to its destination? <laughs> If they're lucky, if they're only using Cisco stuff. Um, I don't know how to feel about this. On one hand, yeah, I know you're worried about sensitive information ending up in Chinese hands. And you believe, and I'm speaking to Congress here, not listeners, that you believe that Huawei is actually a Chinese spy agency. Okay, I get that. But don't you kind of think that's how everyone feels about the U.S. and every company? <laughs> With everything that's come out about the NSA lately? Don't you think that's kind of how everyone else feels about everything that we make? Yeah, it's kind of interesting how uh, you kind of think that we would have seen this headline before, but about the U.S. Mm -hmm. So that's it's kind of interesting that it hit Huawei first. <laughs> now, granted, um, in one uh, that's on one hand. On the other hand, uh, South Korea does have the largest contingency of U.S. troops in Asia, in Southeast Asia. Almost 30,000. Yeah, yeah. So if they're talking about some sensitive communication, like state communication between troops or military bases and the U.S. government or military bases and the South Korean government, I totally understand why you don't want to use Huawei networks. In fact, you probably shouldn't use anyone's network but your own. I mean, there's a difference between secure military channels and general communications. But what I want to know is, and the article here doesn't say this, and this is straight from Reuters. Routers. Routers. Reuters. Reuters. <laughs> for, from those who take roids, evidently. Um, <laughs> where is that line being drawn? When they say they don't want to have sensitive U.S. communication, do they really mean all communication? Because who knows what's going to be sensitive and who knows what's not? Yeah, that's a good question, and it raises a the bigger question. Didn't the U.S. like uh, send up a whole bunch of satellites just for this reason, just for their own communication system, so they didn't have to use the internet? That's. Uh, I'm just gonna let that one fly. That's a perfectly <laughs> good question. What 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 happened to that? Those billions of dollars that they spent on on communications. Well, and I'm gonna say ask the same question I did when I asked when I. We brought up and we reported on the fact that uh, Huawei was being blocked by the U.S. from installing all that 4G LTE equipment over the Midwest, remember? They wanted to bring us LTE all over the place, and the U.S. blocked them because they were worried about Chinese foreign intelligence spying on us. And I said the same thing then I'll say now. What have we made to compete with them? That's fine that you're going to block them if we had something to answer, for, answer it with. Do we? <laughs> And I don't, I don't think we do. Yeah, we have failed in that area. Yeah. 
Okay. Um, in other data center and communications news, this one actually came to us from Kyle in our pre-show, but IBM has decided to work some more black magic with their dark wizards and have made an analog to digital converter that can now reach 400, oh, I forget, is that megabits? Is that gigabits a second? 400 gigabits per second. Now, reading over this, it isn't immediately clear, but what they're talking about is actual analog signals reaching this speed. For reference, the last analog signal you used topped out at 53 kilobits a second. And it was on dial-up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it may have been advertised at 56K, but the FCC limited it to 53K. And in all honesty, probably the best you ever pulled was 48K. That's what they're talking about. They're talking about extremely low transmission energies, meaning it doesn't take a lot of power, over an analog surface moving up to 400 gigabits a second. And Sorry, yeah, gigabits, not gigabytes. That's pretty crazy. Now, of course, they're screwing this up again here. It says, IBM has said that the device is fast enough that 160 gigabytes, the equivalent of a two-hour 4K ultra-high-definition movie, could be downloaded in a couple seconds or in a few seconds. That's not accurate. Um, a gigabyte is different than a gigabit. So... Well, actually, now I'm going to do the math here. Oh, they're, they're accurate. This is 400 gigabits per second. Um which is uh, about 50 gigabytes per second. So, okay, so it's going to take about three and a half seconds. Yeah. Okay, they're right. I'm sorry. <laughs> I jumped to judge. That's okay. <laughs> I do that a lot. But yeah, th this will help out. In, I mean, the, the applications for this are, um, for, first of all, they'll go to data centers so that uh, storage between servers... Um, and, and even even the the link between data centers themselves cross country can have really high rates of transfer. Um, and you ask, well, how does that help us out? Well, it it helps us out over overall on the internet when you go to a service like Amazon or Netflix or um, Hulu and uh, and uh, they're being bombarded by by millions of viewers and. Uh, uh, if you can't get your data off of one server, it has to go to another server uh, to pick that data up. And the faster that bandwidth, the faster your connection is going to be. You, this will decrease the amount of buffering symbols you see. Um, Not just so. that, but it'll lower the overall cost of operating the Internet. Few people know this unless you work in enterprise IT, but data lines are really expensive. Oh, yeah. a, T, a T1 line... A T1 line is like the standard. It is the bare minimum. If you don't have a T1, then your company might as well be working in a garage. A T1 is only 1.5 megabits down. Most home connections are now at least five times that. At least. But the problem is that a T1 is a dedicated connection. That's 1.5 up, 1.5 down, never changes, static IP. It is rock solid, and it's always there. And it costs lots of money, a lot more than your home connection does. The longer that distance has to go, say a data center from Seattle, Washington, down to Texarkana, Texas, you're talking about tens of thousands of dollars a month just for 1.5 megabits. To be able to use an analog line, an existing analog line or telephone line is much cheaper, and to increase that speed to 400 gigabits a second is a real boon. Most people don't know this either, but Google backs up what they have. They back it up to a data center. You know how they do it? They FedEx it because it's faster to FedEx a copy of their backups of everything, even though the backups are huge and take up a huge amount of space. It's faster to FedEx it than it is to transfer it over the Internet because it's so big. Yeah. But, um, and a, another uh, advantage of it being low power is that they can send this across. Uh, the, the wireless of this, of uh, the wireless application of this will carry the same speeds as... Um, an actual line transmission. So uh, where now when we have a, a wireless transmission of our, like, like our Wi-Fi, it's a lot slower than our actual line connection um, because of the limitation of uh, the protocols. But with this new technology, we can be getting that 400 megabits per second over yeah, the gigabits. air, too. Yeah. Yes, gigabits, sorry. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Yeah. 
could mean that awesome download you're getting from the Netherlands, we won't judge, will be just as fast as that awesome download from down the street. <laughs> Again, we won't judge. Uh, switching gears slightly, let's talk Flappy Birds. and How horrible and how beloved and how hated that game is. <laughs> yeah, we brought it up last week. Apparently, um, it, the, uh, the developer of it pulled it because it ruined his simple life. He was getting uh, allegedly $50,000 a day in ad revenue. Um, and uh, and not much more was really known about the story. Uh, but this week we got uh, a lot more into the story. Uh, um, someone from someone from Mashable went in and, and actually did a lot more research into the history of Flappy Bird and what actually went on. Uh, they were still never able to get uh, an interview with the developer. Um, he's kind of closed his doors to that. Um, but they, they called all the, um, all the tweets and all the data surrounding the releases of, of Flappy Bird and found out there's a lot more to it, um, than, than we originally thought. Um, now, for those of you who didn't hear us in last week's show, we kind of brought up an, uh, accounting from Kotaku, which pointed out that Flappy Birds was using art seemingly ripped pixel for pixel, from Super Mario Brothers, and it was a very similar game to a, a French-based uh, Flash game you could play on the computer called Pew Pew, where you tap the screen or click your mouse to get a bird to flap once and get it past these cacti. Cacti that look a lot, awful lot like the pipes from Flappy Bird. Well, at that point, combined with the fact that people were kind of upset that this guy was saying he was making $50,000 a day, the internet, internet went into overdrive calling him a fraud, all these different things. On top of that, he was also releasing an update that made the game easier to play. So all the people who had been hating on him for making the game so hard went away, and the people who had been playing the game were suddenly hating on him for making it too easy. (laughs) And he just said, you know, enough is enough. I just did it to have some fun. I didn't expect it to go anywhere. And like I want to say a day after we recorded, he announced that said, I'm taking it off all the stores. It'll be gone in 22 hours. Yeah, it was pretty quick, and uh, you you still can find the uh, HTML5 versions of it, um, but uh, it, it, it's it's kind of weird. So re- reading this story, I uh, he released it uh, on iOS almost a year ago, and he didn't do anything as far as promoting it. He just kind of released it and and let it go, um, and it slowly crawled into the top ten. Um, and it wasn't until it hit the top 10 that people were like, whoa, where did this come from? You know, how did it get to the top 10? And then within another month or two, it was, it was the number one and it, and it stayed there until he finally made one, made it for Android because of its popularity. Um, and, uh, in all the questions that he was getting over Twitter, he would, uh, in really bad English, either just swat down the question and not answer it or say things like, oh, this they may not be original, but I did make them or, um, you know, I did, I don't do anything to promote this game. So he, he's very offish about it. Um, and I, and I think most of it's just because English isn't his first language and he, there's kind of a, a language gap there. So on one hand, I, I really, I, I feel for him. I, I want to say that if, if this were me, I might have done the same thing as far as like, uh, trying to swat away, you know, attempts of interviews and things like that, because you know most of us developers just want to be left alone, you know. <laughs> so it's kind of strange how it all happened and uh, and how rapidly it, it happened. But uh, Fallout Boy, now th- this is where uh, the news takes a turn for the strange, um, because the game was so popular, uh, people, uh, well, I guess not. Because the game was so addictive and popular, I should say, uh, after it was taken off, after it was taken down, um, the people that were addicted to it didn't have anywhere else to turn. There's someone that was selling a phone with Flappy Birds on it for for $400, and that you can probably find some on eBay now. But uh, Fallout Boy made a tribute game called Fallout Bird, and uh, they say it's going to be released this week. <laughs> Make it sound like a nuclear fallout. Yeah, I know. Um, and, and at first I thought this was just a joke. Um, but in fact it is in, uh, it's, it's still in, uh, 
trying to get approved for the Android Play Store, and I think it was released on the i the Apple Store earlier today. I want to say I I haven't confirmed that, but uh, it's kind of funny that they uh, they wanted to keep the game alive, and so they created their own version of it. <laughs> well, and not just that, but if you are so hell bent on needing that game heaven help you if that's the case but people have actually started taking to selling copies their their iphones on ebay that have the game installed yeah how addicted do you need to be to a game <laughs> that you're willing to buy something that has it installed i have news for you it's not hard to hack an apk you you can get you can get it. Don't worry, people. Even though he's taking it off the market, there will be ways. What I want to know is, is how are games like that still gaining popularity? But the old classics like Kitten Cannon, Google it. It's an awesome game. Uh, are still not well-known and well-loved, despite being out for almost a decade now. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, oh, I did confirm. Gears. It is It is on the Play Store now. I, I just checked. So. Ah. It never, did, it never did come out for Windows Phone. He was very close to releasing a version of it for Windows Phone, and he decided to pull everything last minute. Um, we won't get that that, that game. No. Oh, well. Um, in news of the weird, Foxconn and Google have been working together. They want to create robotic factory workers. Now, this does not surprise us. Well, it doesn't surprise me anyway from the Foxconn side. They already hate paying their employees and giving them benefits as it is. What's better than robots? Robots other than robots. I th- <laughs> other than I think robots will leave a bigger mark when they throw themselves off buildings. Yeah, well, it, and this makes sense with the uh, their acquisition of Boston Dynamics Robotics. Uh, because if you remember the, the big dog from Boston Dynamics, the, the robot that could throw cinder blocks... Um, this puts that to good use. I mean, what's what, better testing than testing iPhones? Yeah, throw throw this cinder block full of iPhones <laughs> to test it out. I'm sorry, the real, real dark side of me just wanted to say now Big Dog will be throwing workers. <laughs> well, uh, and that's that's mm. a plus. Big uh, robots don't commit suicide, so. There's Again, that's feedback at StolenDroids.com. <laughs> I want to know how Google is justifying helping out a company that makes Apple devices. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I'm just saying. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they just want money no matter who's making it. Yeah, iPhones are going to get made. We might as well get money for that, too. Was it? I see what you did there. <laughs> this does make me worry, however. I mean, surely China and Taiwan and everyone in that area, any country that runs these almost sweatshops, and I, I use that term loosely because I know what an actual sweatshop is, and that in this case, Foxconn, while not really being a shining beacon of worker rights, is not the same as a sweatshop. But surely those areas must recognize how the economy hinges on these uh, mass labor facilities. And if suddenly they're not hiring all these people to make shoddy electronics for us to enjoy at cheap prices, where are they going to go? What's going to happen to the economy in the area? What's going to happen to the money? That's a good question. And uh, since uh, we're not economists, (laughs) that's uh, something we can't answer. Yeah. Uh, and finally, last bit of news also came from Kyle, uh, talking about leaked iPhone 6 images. Now, uh, we don't have a link in the show notes, but you can Google it, leaked iPhone 6. The version that we've seen, and they've been posted on Boy Genius Report and a lot of other places, and people close to it say that they are accurate. In a nutshell, they look like a cross between the iPhone 5, not surprising, and the new iPad iPod Touch. As kind of that curved aluminum back, uh, Thunderbolt port at the bottom, or lightning connector, whatever Apple calls it, as the two speakers in the bottom, and the headphone jack as well, has a fingerprint reader and an almost edge-to-edge screen. I mean, the bezel's really small on it. However, these are classic blurry picks. Even the clearest one has such a shallow depth of field that only the leading edge is clear and the rest of it goes off into blurry oblivion. Yeah. Furthermore, I don't think even Google can have a bezel that small. Yeah, it just seems. 
Well, and, and, and even if they could technologically do it, having your screen literally go up to the edge metal means the first time that edge hits something sharp, you've shattered your LCD. Even if the screen itself is able to withstand it, you shattered the LCD underneath it. There's no buffer. There's no give. So I don't, I don't know. Plus, on one hand, and I brought this up in the pre-show, back in the day, back when Jobs ran Apple, you could almost be assured that every leaked image you saw was a fake. Mm-hmm. And they were. <laughs> and they were. Security was that tight. And now, every leaked image we see is typically how it's going to look. Except for the uh, the completely transparent ones. Those always come out for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Like, like we haven't seen that before. Thanks, people. But as Schmitty pointed out, we've kind of gotten so tired of these leaked prototypes that does anyone even really care? Is anyone shocked by the iPhone anymore? Yeah, I, I see the keyword prototype or leaked image in, in the uh, headline, and I just ignore it. It's it's become that proliferant that I, I just ignore them now. So... All in all, if this is the new iPhone, I've got to say it looks okay, but I'm not really that impressed. And I don't say that to be dismissive. I'm just saying I was kind of hoping Apple would really shake things up this time. I was looking forward to seeing what they could bring and see them shake, break the mold and kind of revitalize the brand. And if this is what we're looking at, it's not really a revitalization. It is, however... Um, a new case you need to buy because no previous case is going to fit this phone. <laughs> it's it's all about the cases. The case the case manufacturers are dumping money into Apple so that they'll change the size of their phone. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, uh, into our favorites this week, and I just barely changed mine. Uh, mine had been, and I'll give you both. Mine had been the opening ceremonies, even though I kind of ragged on them for taking our inventions. If you watched the opening ceremonies. During the time when they were representing the 60s or the commun- after the Communist Revolution, during the heyday of the Cold War, uh, they played Trollolo <laughs> during the opening ceremonies. Uh, my wife, who hates that song, um, about came unhinged. It was quite funny, just suddenly hearing the Trollolo guy singing over the uh, opening ceremonies. But what my new favorite is is actually the newest video from Vsauce. Vsauce is that uh, YouTube channel that do- does scientifically related videos uh, with the lead host who constantly pops up into frame. I don't know why he does that. But he talks about distortion and the rolling shutter effect. And if you don't know what that is, the rolling shutter effect is when a shutter speed or a scanning shutter, like digital cameras use, are trying to capture something that's moving faster than the shutter. Because it's moving faster, the shutter will capture it at different places. This is most often done in like airplane propellers. You see them all sorts of warpy. But he brings up an interesting point I had never considered, and that is we all have a rolling shutter effect when looking at faraway objects such as galaxies. The Andromeda galaxy being uh, hundreds of thousands of light years across, meaning that the light on the far end of the galaxy is taking longer to reach us than the front end, meaning that everyone on Earth has a rolling shutter effect when they look at that galaxy and that it's actually distorted as a result. Fascinating stuff that I hadn't really considered. Uh, if you want to have your mind kind of blown, check it out. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, good video. <laughs> uh, my favorite um, is a uh, a website that lets you play a theremin with your mouse. And if you're not familiar with what a theremin is, a theremin is a musical instrument um, that uh, is it's not an instrument you actually touch, uh, but it has a series of antennas, and uh, they work on uh, how for, the the distance of your hands from those antennas. One antenna controls the frequency of the sound, and the other antenna um, affects the amplitude of your sound. Um, really pretty instrument to listen to uh, by by someone who's mastered it. Um, so in other words, I'll probably never be pretty on, a pretty player on it. But uh, you'll the, never be pretty. I'll never be pretty. <laughs> I've just accepted that fact. But this uh, this website, this guy built a beautiful HTML5 theremin uh, uh, interactive tool. And you can play the theremin with your mouse. Uh, it's it's really awesome. You can add time delays, um, feedback uh, you, um, feedback delays. You can add scuzz, and you can even change change the waveform shape. Um, and it's it's loads of fun. He said he's he's going to add a record feature pretty soon because the the popularity of this has just blown up in the past day. <laughs> so uh, check it out and uh, and and see what you can create with it. 
Very cool. Well, that is our show this week. Uh, we can't wait for Zoner to come back and see what awesome souvenirs he brought us. Again, check us out uh, at StolenDroids.com. Find us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Check us out on Google+. That is, of course, where we announce our pre-shows. If you want to join in on that, uh, see if you can win some stuff. And special thanks to our friends over at all of our sponsors and our wonderful distributors. You can find us at feedback at StolenDroids.com or give us a call at 801-917-GEEK. Until next time, cheers. End of line. This has been a Stolen Droids Media Production.